I have no idea how I'm going to share anything after that. And so many stories and emotions and just memories, great memories flooding in as I listen to those stories. And I do agree with one thing wholeheartedly. I would not have been a very good pastor without Pam Boyd standing next to me. So. Uh, that is, that's the, that's the fact. That's the best gift the Lord ever gave me. And then he followed that with Abram and Callie. And I appreciate that. <clears throat> I can say this with absolute honesty, sincerity, the best 15 years of my life have been here serving as your pastor. Uh, I love you. I'm so uh, honored. <clears throat> I never thought that the Lord would bring me to Colorado, a Louisiana kid. <clears throat> I was raised on the Marshall Highway. The end of the earth is about two miles from where I grew up. <clears throat> and out of, out of the backside of the desert, honestly, the Lord brought me here and I'm, I'm grateful, I'm humbled. And I'll tell you this, uh, I'm, I'm standing here and I appreciate the love you're, you're giving me, but I don't stand here by myself. I just, so the men that you saw in that video, the men and women you saw in that video are but a small sample of leaders and people that the Lord has gathered here over the last 15 years. And, Daniel Grothy and Glenn Packham and Brian Newberg and Lance Coles and Jeremias and Anna and all of you, that, that John Egan, uh, the team, all of you that volunteer every Sunday I show up here and there are hundreds if not thousands of you serving with your whole heart, your whole life, you're praying, you're giving, you're, you're sacrificing alongside me. And so I, I just wanna tell you this, the last 15 years is a testimony of God's faithfulness to this place. Jesus has been faithful to New Life Church. And it's because of Christ and Christ alone that this place is flourishing and we're seeing baptisms and dream centers. It's because of what Jesus made up his mind a long time ago to do it through this place. And I'm grateful for him. Can we just thank the Lord for his faithfulness and goodness for all that Jesus has done. And uh, in case you're wondering what I did over my summer break, I wrote a book for you. Uh, it's called Oceans of Grace. And it's the, the reason I, the, I named it this is because I feel like that's what we've been living in for the last 15 years. I know we're a mountain town, but uh, bear with me with the, uh, the uh, imagery there. <clears throat> but the Lord told me a long time ago that I was swimming in oceans of grace. So when it came time for me to give a cup of grace to someone else, that should be easy for me to do because I've been living in an ocean of grace, surrounded, consumed by his goodness and grace. And so uh, we took, I've, been, I've preached about 400 sermons to you and in the last 15 years, and so we found 365 of them. Let's just, let's just admit about 30 or 40 of them were really bad. And then, <laughs> but the other ones were passable, right? So we, we took 365 sermons and I'm, I made a 365 day devotional because it's been my desire as your pastor that every single day, listen very carefully, every single day I want you to wake up, I want you to open the scriptures, and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life, that's it. And so I wrote a book to help you do that, and I'm gonna give it to you today. The, the church owns the book. I'm not making a penny from this. I want the church to be blessed. So as you walk out today, I want you to pick one up, take it home, and start every day. Open it up, and you'll, you'll be, it'll be fun because you'll remember some of those stories I told, some of the sermons over the last 15 years. But this book is a gift to you from me, and I wanna say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the way you love Jesus. Thank you for the way you love your neighbor. Thank you for being good and kind to me and Pam. Our kids have grown up here. Abram was eight, and Callie was six when we came here. They're now 21 and 23. They've grown up in this house. 
And I'm grateful that they got to grow up at New Life Church. Amen? I love you so much. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to try to pull it together and talk about Nehemiah too. You have no idea how much emotion is going through my body right now. So can you just give, this may not be one that makes the next devotional, okay? I'm just going to do my best. My goal is that this message make the next devotional. That's, that's the very low bar I've set for this. But Nehemiah chapter two is where we're going to be. Find the book of Nehemiah in less than 60 seconds. I'm, I'm gonna talk today, last week we talked about this story, Nehemiah. The reason I picked this sermon series for this particular time of my life is because it was a Friday morning in the Hilton Garden Inn, about 6 a.m. one morning. The Lord told me to open up and read the entire book of Nehemiah, and it was in the middle of reading the book of Nehemiah that the Lord affirmed my call to come here. And, and so this story, this picture, this, this story of Nehemiah is very near to me. Nehemiah was living a very comfortable life. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, living in a town of extreme wealth, extreme power, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He had never been to Jerusalem, never gone to the city, and then Suddenly one day he's in the king's court and somebody comes in, probably his biological brother, some people believe, and told him about the condition of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he sat there and wept. Something miraculous and supernatural changed in his heart as he heard about the broken places of Israel, Jerusalem especially. And so he made the thousand mile journey. He had, he had letters from the king that gave him rights to lumber and to property and to money. And he shows up and sure enough, it was probably worse than he thought. And I can remember that coming into new life, it was worse than I thought. And then, but better than I thought in some ways. More hopeful than I would have imagined actually. But Nehemiah must have seen the burned down walls and the broken gates and said to himself, only God can do this. And so right away he gets, he gets busy, he goes to work. And so for the next several Sundays, I'm gonna show you in the book of Nehemiah what happens when you say yes to a call. Because I told you last Sunday, if you didn't hear last Sunday's message, I want you to go back and listen to it because I'm trying to convince you of something. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm trying to convince all of you in this room and all of you watching online that you have a call on your life. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not a divine mistake. You're called. You have an assignment, just as I had an assignment to come here 15 years ago, your assignment is, is there for you to take and to believe. But the enemy does not want you to say yes to it. The enemy is gonna do everything he can to push you away from the call that God has on your life. And some of the tactics, some of the attacks that we see in the book of Nehemiah are very common to leaders around the world even today. The enemy has not had to change his game plan that much in the last four or 5,000 years because it works. And I'm gonna show you today in Nehemiah chapter two about how the enemy attacks our character, attacks our motivations, really comes to accuse us and to shame us, to ridicule us in order to keep us from doing what he's called. So Nehemiah chapter two, let's start reading together in verse 17. He says, I said to them, now Nehemiah is in Jerusalem at this point. He's made that journey. He said, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. I mean, it was obvious to everyone, right? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, well, let's come. This is, listen, this is really important. When God tells you something, it's usually very simple and very clear and easy to understand. Very rarely does God come to the human race with complicated missions. 
It's easy, very simple. Love God, love your neighbor. That sounds really simple, right? And extremely hard to do. He says, so let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told him about the gracious hand of my God that was upon, upon me and what the king had said to me. In other words, all the resources of the Persian empire really had been given to Nehemiah to do this great work. So they weren't without resources. And he says, they replied, let's do it. I remember Daniel told the story of that, that staff meeting where I, I told him how sorry I was. But also, you know what, the most important thing I remember in those early days is how much they had to trust me, a stranger. I was a stranger to them. They didn't know me, they didn't understand me, but I so appreciated in those early days the trust that they gave me. And I've tried to be a good steward of your trust. And I know that, that trust is, uh, you know, you gain it in drops and you can lose it in bucketfuls. And I wanna tell you something, I so appreciate the trust you've given to Pam and me. I so appreciate that when I ask you to, to serve or to give or be, do something, that your immediate response is yes. I don't feel like I'm arguing with you. Or I don't feel like I'm having to coerce you or manipulate you. You guys have been easy to lead, a generous people, a good people. And I just wanna tell you, thank you. Nehemiah found that same group of people in Jerusalem. So they said to Nehemiah, all right, let's do this. Let's rebuild this thing. Let's do something great for God. And so they began this good work. But now let me just point out something. Throughout the history of the Bible, and I'm gonna show you a couple of these stories in just a moment. Whenever God begins a good work, the enemy will do a good job of trying to ridicule you, to mock you, and knock you off target. So right away, the good work starts. And then Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. And these are three men that had some type of leadership in and around Jerusalem. Some people believe they were profiting from the broken down walls. They were taking bribes, they were taking some money. Uh, they, were, they were earning a pretty good living for Jerusalem to stay in shambles. In other words, they were motivated financially for Jerusalem not to be repaired. So right away, they began to attack with their words. And it always starts with words. And listen, it says they mocked and ridiculed us. Underline those two words, because we'll come back to that in just a moment. They mocked and ridiculed, and this is what they said. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So right away, they are challenging his motivation. Why are you doing this? Are you a rebel? Are you sinning? What are you really up to? Let's stop here and let's pray over this Bible, this scriptures, Father, we thank you so much for these words. We're reading a story that's 3,000 years old about a city that was in disrepair. But Father, here we are in 2022, living in a world with walls that have been burned down and gates that are wide open. We live in a world where the enemy seems to come and go as he pleases. But Father, I thank you you've called us into this city, even into this nation and world, to put our hands to the plow again, to begin to rebuild what the enemy has destroyed. So Father, I pray that you would awaken our heart to the mission, the assignment, the new calling, the old calling that you've placed on all of our lives. And Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us a holy imagination. Give us a heart to believe 
Lord, help us to understand what you're calling us to today. And do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Every time the enemy, anytime the Lord puts an assignment on your life, the first thing that the enemy is going to attack is your identity. He's going he's to mock you. He's going to ridicule you. He's going to knock you off, off. So God, at the beginning of the Bible, gives the human race a brand new identity. God gives us all an identity. And the enemy immediately tries to distort it to cause us to believe something that's not true about God. All right, so I wanna stop, I'm gonna ask a very big question. In fact, this might be the biggest question that I could ever possibly ask you. It's that big. What is it that you know to be absolutely true about God? What do you know about God? Now you might be a brand new believer, you may have been in church all your life, but that's a very important question to ask. What is it that you know to be absolutely true about God? Now, you don't have to understand the full measure of God. In fact, if you're ever around someone who feels like they fully understand God, they are lying. And they're probably a heretic, all right? So honestly, you're not going to understand God. In fact, I think the first two billion years of heaven will be us unraveling and discovering something new about God every single second. That God's bigger than we are. God's more, um, uh, he's wider, broader, bigger, deeper than any of us can humanly comprehend. But you need, you need to know a few things about God that you're sure about. And, and, and the, I, I don't think I've ever told you this story, but, but I was 40 years old. You see that video, how young I was? Good, That's, that was, y'all put weight on me. Y'all have grayed my hair. I used to have really nice red hair. I was 15 pounds lighter. I can't even put that suit on anymore. That, that was in that video. Well, let me tell you one thing that was happening before I got here. In the decade of my 30s, I went under the spiritual surgical knife of the Holy Spirit for a decade. And in those 10 years, the Lord began to surgically, precisely get down to a root of insecurity that I'd had in my life all my years. And the Lord established in me a firm identity as son before I ever got here. If he had not done that, I would have not survived the first two or three years as your pastor. And, and so I, I can remember the darkest days of those early few years. Sometimes all I could say in those mornings of prayer, sometimes the only thing I could really get my mind around were a few little things about God that I knew to be true. God, you are good. God, you are kind. You have filled me with the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, thank you for giving me the continuously articulate scriptures that are alive and active today. Father, thank you that you've given me a wife that loves me unconditionally. Thank you for a handful of friends that are walking in covenant with me. That's all I can say. But I knew about God. The one thing I knew about God is that he was good and that he had called me and I was his son. And sometimes that's all you need to know. That's all, that's enough, by the way. Sometimes that's plenty and that's enough. And the reason I'm saying that to you is because if you don't know some facts, some things, some undisputable facts about God, then you're gonna find yourself being accused and mocked and ridiculed and you'll start doubting God and then you'll start doubting your assignment. This is what Nehemiah is being challenged to do right now. Nehemiah on that thousand mile trip from Persia to Jerusalem, I'm sure has some spiritual wrestling matches with God. 
What is it that I know to be true about God? So in Genesis chapter three, let me show you this story. You know Genesis one, Genesis two, the earth is formed, human races brought into being. And what was the assignment that God gave Adam and Eve? Rule, dominion, name the animals, take care of this place. So they had a clear assignment, right? Name the animals, take care of the, of the creation. Chapter three of Genesis three, chapter one, look at this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, in fact, the very first mention of any conversation that the human race had with Satan are these words. Did God actually say? You understand right off the bat, the enemy's trying to distort the nature of God, trying to distract Adam and Eve from their calling and from their assignment. And he did it by mocking and ridiculing the nature of God. All right, that's Genesis chapter three, right? Now skip ahead to Matthew chapter three. Jesus is 30 years old. He's at the Jordan River. John the Baptist is about to baptize him in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. Sure enough, as he's standing in that water, he comes up out of the water and he says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now leave that up just for a moment. Jesus has done nothing up to this point. The only story we hear about Jesus at this point is he got lost at the mall when he was 12, that's it. He has performed no miracles. He's not raised any dead people. He's not cast out any demons and nothing really remarkable has happened yet in the life of Jesus. And yet before he's done anything, the father puts a seal of approval on the head of Jesus. The father told him he was pleased before he had done anything. All right, New Life Church, I asked you a question a moment ago, what do you know to be true about God? That's a great question to ask today at lunch with your friends and family, okay? Here's the second thing though. What do you know to be true about you? You need to answer the first question first. The second question is equally as important though. Do you believe that you have to earn the favor of God or do you believe grace is a gift that you're supposed to receive? You see, the reason I, I named this book Oceans of Grace is every day when you open it up, I want you to see this cover and remind yourself that you can't earn his approval. You cannot do enough good things to make God love you any more than he already loves you. You have to receive the goodness of the Lord. You have to receive his grace. You have to believe it is a gift that you cannot earn because that will change the way you lead. It will change the way you're married. It will change the way you raise your children. It will change the way you run your company. It will change everything about your life when you believe that grace is a gift to be received and not a reward to be earned. And this is the point that Jesus is about to find himself. So this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't have to prove anything to his father. Okay, that's Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter four, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days of testing and temptation and trials. In that 40 day period, Satan comes to him three different times with three different temptations, but they were really accusations. I think it's misnamed quite honestly. It was a temptation, but it was also an accusation about the nature 
and the character of God. And the first one was this. So Satan comes and says, command these stones to be turned to bread. Listen, if that were possible, that, that would be a really nice party trick, by the way. And that would probably be something I would abuse because I would be turning some stuff into some bread. And Jesus is hungry. Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. It's not by my flesh that I'm going to survive. It's by his spirit that I'm going to survive. In other words, what you're saying about God is not true. So Satan comes to him a second time. It says, throw yourself from the temple. In other words, create some excitement, create a, a show, impress the people, impress the people with your power. And Jesus says, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to do that to get attention. I'm not going to draw attention to myself. That's not who God is. And that's not who God promotes. So Satan comes to him a third time and he offers him power. He says, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you worship me. And Jesus says, by the way, I'm only going to worship the Lord my God. Listen, this is exactly what the enemy does in all of our lives. He tries to give us a deformed image of God. If he can somehow confuse us about the nature of God, then the second thing is we become confused about what God's called us to do. And the reason there's so many shenanigans going on in the church today is we have a whole generation of pastors who have been raised by celebrities and not by disciples. Because they're, they're just doing what they've seen. They're doing, they're, they're, they're performing. They're not producing, they're performing. And listen, I'm not up here to, to entertain. I don't even know how to do that. I'm terrible at it. I'm here to produce something. I'm here to show you something. I'm here to walk with you toward a, a spot. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds walk with you toward a common destination. And we stop along the way for water and food and, and we stop along the way for rest. And we stop along the way for conversations, but we're all headed in the same direction. And I, I think I know the way, the Spirit's leading me in that way. And together we're going to get there. That's what the Bible says that the church should feel like. A group of people traveling along a road together. But what happens is criticism comes into every place that I've ever been, but it turns into mocking. So I want to just show, show you the difference today between criticism, which Nehemiah got criticism, but what was happening in this story that we just read out of Nehemiah chapter two is he was being mocked. So there are two types of criticism. You need to write this down. This will help you if you're a leader. If you're leading anything, this will help you, okay? This is all free of charge. There are two types of criticism. Fair criticism and unfair criticism. So, and I've, all, and I've often found actually that there is an ounce of truth in every pound of criticism. I remember one day I was standing right there. I'll never forget where I was standing, right there. And this guy, he was always mad about something. He's been gone about nine or 10 years now and I've, I've been very thankful about that. <laughs> he moved to another state or something. But for a lot of years, he, was, it was his, he had a spiritual gift of correction which is not found in the Bible, by the way. So he came down one Sunday. I'd been preaching on something out of, out of, I think I was in Matthew 5, 6 or 7, Sermon on the Mount. And I mentioned something about the dream centers. And he said, Brady, Brady, listen, don't, this is his exact words, so this may sound a little crass, I'm sorry. He goes, don't get us involved in that social justice crap. That's not, just, just teach Jesus to us. And I said, have you read the red letters? 
about visiting people in prison, about feeding the poor, about taking care of widows. I mean, that's in the red letters of the Bible. I, was, I would push back on him. I said, actually, we would be disobedient to Jesus if we didn't get involved in the brokenness of our city. And he just, he was so aggravated by the whole thing, he stormed out. But I realized what, that, that there was an ounce of truth in what he said to me. Because I realized in that moment, I've not done a very good job explaining the mission of Jesus. And it set me on a, on a path for the next couple of years of every time I got an opportunity to tell people about the real mission of Jesus on the earth, it always involved going to broken places and helping broken people. And that's the mission, not just to get people to heaven, it's to help people here on earth while they're headed to heaven. And that's, it, made, it did something in me as a leader. But I wanna show you now, okay, Psalm one, go to the very first Psalm. There are 150 Psalms in the Bible. And that collection of Psalms have shaped the worship and the prayers of the local church for what, 4,000 years, 3,000 years, thousands of years. It shapes us here. We're shaped and formed by the Psalms, what the Psalm says. Psalm one, verse one, listen to this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or listen to this, or sit in the company of mockers. Now those three words, three words there, there's walking, standing, and sitting. And all three show a different level of activity. Walking with you is one thing. Standing with you is a different. But when I sit with you, if I come to your home and sit down with you, that means there is a level of familiarity and comfort that's different than walking by you, standing with you, sitting with you is a level of intimacy and friendship. And the Bible in the very first Psalm, the very first verse says, do not make yourself comfortable with people who mock. Listen, I'm looking across the landscape of Christianity right now. There's a lot of mocking going on online. People that have their, their, their pictures with, in church, they're upset with politics, they're upset with social issues. And I believe that we're called as Christians to prophetically criticize, but we're never called to maliciously mock anything on earth. We do not sit in the company of mockers. Criticize, point out, prophesy, all those things are biblical. Mocking is never biblical. And mocking is making fun of someone in a cruel and demeaning way. In other words, criticism is meant to challenge. And listen, moms and dads, if you got little kids right now, I'm, I'm, this is so golden what I'm about to tell you, okay? There's a difference between criticizing your children and mocking their behavior. And it's a very fine line sometimes. Criticism is meant to challenge their beliefs, challenge their behavior. And one thing that Pam and I, we didn't always get it right, but we were very careful not to go across the boundary. We were quick to point out, coach them, criticize, help them, but we never mocked them. We didn't mock our kids. Listen, fear and shame will get you results. You can, you can shame and fear your children into any kind of behavior you want. It's just not gonna produce a very good human being when they're adults. Fear and shame are very effective and they're evil. 
So this is what Nehemiah was facing. They mocked him, they ridiculed him. Mocking is meant to dehumanize and shame someone. Criticism is looking for the truth. Criticism is looking for what's right. So criticism is looking for the truth, but mocking is looking for a fight. And you can't find both in the room at the same time. So I'm just asking you in your life church, when you enter into political conversations, when you're talking about issues in our culture that are broken to you, it is completely fair game to criticize, to bring attention to the truth, to talk about it in honest dialogue, places of your disagreement, but when you cross over into mocking, you've crossed over into a dark realm that's not going to pay good dividends for your soul. Do not sit in the company of mockers. If I'm around people and mocking breaks out, I'm out, I'm out. I've been off Facebook for about six months. It's been the best six months of my life. Last night, for whatever reason, I went on Facebook. And I'm, I'm just here to confess before I feel better after I confess, right? And some, I, I said something like nice, like God loves you. And there was a string of ugly things, comments under that, it's nothing. I, wasn't, I didn't say anything controversial. God's good, puppies are quite nice, uh, butterflies are pretty or something, you know, something. And there was this nasty string of comments. And what happens is, is social media has brought criticism to our front door quicker than anything else that we've ever, people have access to you that they, need, they used to not have access to you. Mockers can get to you now, every one of you. You, you are now a target of mocking in a way that the human race has never seen before. And it's doing something to our soul. Criticism is correction, mocking is punishment. And let me tell you about the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is Christ has already taken all of my punishment. Christ has already borne all of my shame. The shame and the punishment that was meant for me has now been placed upon Christ. We just sang this song a moment ago that said, when I see that cross, I see freedom. When I see that grave, I see Jesus. Now think about our gospel. The two symbols that we see as symbols of freedom were a cross and a grave. Things that look like shame to the outside world, look like defeat to the outside world. They're not symbols of defeat to us. They're symbols of freedom to us. They're symbols of hope to us. Why? Because Jesus took the mocking and the ridicule upon himself so that we don't have to live with the shame, the mocking and the ridicule of this world. Let me show you one last scripture, okay? Luke 23, go to Luke 23 for me. Right up into the end of Jesus' life, He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die a bloody, crucified death. There was not a more shameful death that he could have suffered than death on a cross in front of his mother. Naked and alone, dark and afraid, he hung on a cross outside the city gates of Jerusalem. But before that happened, it says, Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressed him in, a, in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate, the very last thing that happened to Jesus before he went to that cross is he took one more dose of shame and ridicule and mocking upon himself. He said, I'll take it, bring it to me. I will bear 
the ridicule and the mocking so that when I come out of that grave, the people that will be marked by my name, the people that will follow me for the next 2000 years will not be a people that's marked by shame. They will not be a people that's marked by guilt. They'll be a people walking in absolute freedom. That's the good news of the gospel today for all of us. Amen. Nehemiah heard, Nehemiah received it. And I love, we're gonna keep telling this story in the next several weeks, but Nehemiah kept his hand to the plow. He picked up the tools and he started rebuilding the wall. New Life Church, this morning when I woke up, I was praying over you. And I feel like there's some of you that have been paralyzed. You're, you're paused, you're in a paralytic pause right now. You're paused in your calling. And the reason you've pushed pause it's because you've believed something that's not true about God or you've believed something that's not true about you. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop here for a moment. I want to pray over you because your assignment, listen carefully, your assignment is too valuable to the kingdom of the Lord. Your mission is too important to the kingdom of God for you to stay in this paralyzed moment much longer. And so you've got to make up your mind this morning. What do you know to be true about God? And what's true about you? And I wanna pray over you right now and we're gonna just take a moment. And I'm, I, uh, last night even after I deleted Facebook again, <laughs> I just said, Lord, that's not true about me. That's not true about you. That's not who I am. I know my, I know my motivation. I know why I do things. And I know, Lord, why you do things. So Father, I just receive your blessing and your, the seal of your approval back on my life. And New Life, I wanna pray that over you today. Father in heaven, what the enemy has said about them is not true. Father in heaven, what the enemy has said about you is not true. The enemy is the father of lies and nothing that comes out of his mouth is truth. But Lord, today you are the source of absolute truth. You're the source of what is good and righteous and holy in this world. Father, we believe you're good. We believe you're always kind. We believe that when you promise something that you make it come to pass, that your promises are yes and amen. And we believe today that we're saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We believe today that we can overcome all things because of the resurrection of Christ. So Father, today I break those curses, those spoken things, that have been spoken over these precious people. I break that now in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that the heavens would open over their lives, that you would flood them with encouragement and truth and strength today, that they may get back on their feet, they may stand back up and move forward with the call that's on their life. Just as Nehemiah refused to allow the attack on your character to keep him from going forward, I pray that we would not let the mocking and the ridicule of others keep us from moving forward today. And we pray this in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you need that, if you receive that, would you say amen today? Amen, amen. five of you. <laughs> I wanna do something special. Normally, for almost every Sunday, we come to the table of the Lord today. But today we're gonna do something special. 15 years ago, when I came here, the Lord said to me, that there were gonna be some young leaders emerge out of this place. And he gave me a very clear assignment. He said, Brady, love them, strengthen them, 
prepare them, but when it's time for them to go, lay hands on them and bless them. Because that's what the early church did. That's, the healthy, that's a healthy local church when young leaders can come and flourish. And then when it's obvious that there's another assignment on their life, we send them out with our blessing and our strength. 15 years ago, there was a young, young guy that was from Malaysia here. I loved him right away. He was always teaching me things and we had great conversations, but I just fell in love with his heart, with his character. And a few months ago, the Lord spoke to Glenn Packham and Holly and their children that they were to say yes to a senior pastor call at Rock Harbor Church in Orange County, California. And I, I know he announced that the last time he preached, but I want us to bless him. Glenn and Holly have been here 22 years, longer than I have. And they have poured their heart. There's, this is their first job out of college. This, so they're going to their second job. And I am so thankful for all that they've poured in, all the teaching, the pastoral care. He's done, he's been at many of your funerals for your family. He's been in hospital rooms. He has counseled you, he's directed you, he has shepherded you. He and Holly both are shepherds of this house. And we're sending out two of our very best. Rock Harbor, I better get a Christmas gift of some kind from Rock Harbor. Cause I am sending them two of the best leaders I've ever met in my life. So I want you to stand in honor, Glenn and Holly. Glenn and Holly, come up here today. Bring your family. I want our elders, our pastors to come up. Y'all come here, we're gonna pray over them. Point your hands toward them. Now you say, well, Pastor Brady, what does that mean, pointing hands? It just means you're agreeing. You're, you say, I agree with this. I see God at work. I see God putting the, uh, a new assignment on Glenn and Holly. And we're gonna miss them. I mean, it's, not, it's, you can be, it's okay to be sad. We've already done all the crying that we're gonna do. But, we, we, but at the same time, I rejoice. Yes. Well, I'm also rejoicing yes. that, that the Lord's about to use them in a remarkable church in California. And listen, California needs some help. We know that, right? So we're sending them some help. You're welcome, California. <laughs> Let's pray hands. Lay hands on them, guys. Put, come here and put your hands on their family. Father, thank you for a good and honest, faithful men and women. Glenn and Holly are faithful witnesses, faithful bearers of your image. They're leaders, but they're servants. They're teachers and preachers, but they're learners. And Lord, we send them now with the blessing of the Lord. I pray you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be a light for their path, a lamp for their path, a light for their feet, Lord. I pray that you would lead them and direct them and guard them and keep them. I pray in their moments of uncertainty that you would flood them with wisdom yes. from on high. Yes. I pray, Lord, that for every friend that they're leaving behind, that you would replace them with multitude of people that would love them and serve them in just as Nehemiah found people in Jerusalem who were ready to do the work. I pray that Glenn and Holly would find a congregation full of people ready to do the work. So Lord, I bless them. I pray your power upon them. I pray that their children would, Lord, bear, go down deep in the soil of, yes. of Orange County and they would flourish in that land. Yes. And that Glenn and Holly would look back on this day and see them being sent and planted into yes. a new church. And they would feel the good favor of the Lord every day that they do that work. So we bless them now in Jesus' name.
and we send them out with our blessing, with our strength, with the faith that comes from this house, we send them out now with that. Our friendship, our love. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You're gonna do great out there. You're gonna do great out there. All right, we're gonna do something even more special today. We're gonna to sing a song out of this place today. Let me tell you the story. Some of you know this story. 15 years ago, dark, it was discouraging. A lot of dark things had happened. And I think it was like a 6 a.m. prayer meeting in the World Prayer Center. For whatever reason, John, who doesn't do 6 a.m., was leading, he was leading in the World Prayer Center. There's like eight people there. And that's why we don't do 6 a.m. prayer meetings anymore. <laughs> Eight people showed up. And but something happened that day on the front of the stage. John just with his guitar began to sing the scriptures out of the book of Revelation. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He just began to sing that over and over again. And out of that came this song called Overcome that at one time was the billboard number one worship song went all over the world. People still sing it all over the world, but it started in the World Prayer Center. And I was thinking this week, if there were one song that I would want to sing to thank Jesus for what he's done in our lives in the last 15 years, it would be this song. And so we're gonna lift our voices. And if you've been, how many of you have been here the entire 15 years with me? Raise your hand. It's like four of you. Thank you so much for staying steady. No, I know that. Thank you so much for being here, but we're gonna sing this song together. If you're new to New Life, you need to know this song. It is the anthem of our church. And so let's lift our hands, let's pray, let's thank the Lord for his goodness and his grace. And let's sing this song together before we're dismissed. We have history with you, God. Legacy. Seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. Suffered as if
coming church. We believe it. It's who God made us to be. Now and for the future. Let's sing it out in faith. That we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. with confidence that we Hadn't it been good to be in the house of the Lord together today, celebrating God's faithfulness? Quick reminder that in the lobby, we've got this free book for you, one per household. Take it and read it and enjoy what God has done among us as you read through these old sermons. A couple other things. We've got a party in the lobby today. We've got all kinds of treats, the calories, dope the kids up on sugar, all of the stuff. Sent them home for a terrible nap. So take that and enjoy. But what I want to do now is I want to call our prayer team to come down, and we would love to pray over you, over any needs you might have. If you're new, come see us at Connect Central. Would you open your hands to receive the benediction today as you leave? I pray may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest on you. I pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would carry this strength out into the world today. I pray that you would know this is my daughter whom I love. This is my son whom I love. In you I am well pleased, says the Father over you today. So I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all your people and grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Great day in the house of the Lord. If you need prayer, come on down. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. So much love.